Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Train Effective podcast. My name is Nixon. I am your host. And today we have a very special guest because today we are joined by CM Yep. How are you doing, mate? You okay? Hi, everyone. How are you guys doing? Very, very good. Thank you. Thank you for joining, um, first and foremost. Now, before we, we, we get into what we're going to discuss, uh, for you guys that may not already know, CM actually attended one of our one-day camps um, quite some time ago now. So just for you guys uh, that haven't seen that yet, I'm yeah, just going to show I was quite that. surprised, to be honest, about the standard of the coaches. The tips and the advice they gave was very effective. Yeah, I felt it was very high intensity. The pressure was high. It was good standard. Lots of overall drills that's in today's um, modern game, and I think it improved me. Right, there you go. So that was um, quite some time ago now, but that was when Train Effective became familiar with, with, with your work and they've been, um, you know, following your journey ever since. So let's get stuck into that. So I actually want to start right at the, right at the beginning, if that's okay with you. So, mm-hmm. you know, I believe you were born and raised in Thailand, if, if, if I'm not mistaken, and you started playing, um, you know, football when you were very young. Talk me through that. What were some of the earliest memories you have of playing football and what was it that sparked your interest in, in the sport? Yeah, um, so my earliest memory of playing football was, you know, first off, I, I grew up in Phuket, Thailand, a small island here in um, in Thailand, but a very developed island. as a load of uh, international schools um, and international academies, which is how I, uh, you know, gained my footballing experience. But then my first memory was really, you know, at lunchtime or break time, you know, as, as most kids can probably relate to, um, just playing, kicking about with your mates, having matches. Um, on the street or on the field at school. Um, and that was probably started from about five, six, seven. Um, and, you know, I never took it too seriously then, but then it grew from there. Right. And uh, hi, Nick. How are you doing? You okay? Just joined us now. Yeah, good to good to see you guys. And nice Siam, to see you finally. Yeah, very nice to see you too. I was just listening into your whole story. So yeah, Nixon, please continue. I will do, I will do. So um, I also believe at, at some point you joined an academy and I want to say this with the with the correct pronunciation. I'll try. Mm-hmm. So Cruzeiro Esports Clopa. And I believe that yeah. so they're, they're a club in, in Brazil. And actually for you guys yeah. that may not know, he's actually owned, that club is owned by Ronaldo, R9 Brazilian Ronaldo, which is quite cool. So they came over to your school and they set up an academy, right? Mm-hmm. Um how important was that for your development to train and learn from these Brazilian coaches um, at your young age? I think that is um, what set me apart from a normal player, I guess you could say, and what really kickstarted my uh, career because, you know, um, Brazilian style of football is a really, is a really, you know, they're well known for what they do on the field. Um, and for them to have Brazilian coaches come over, to see, you know, the world of football through them, for them to teach uh, their style of play and everything. It really did open my eye up to another world of football, especially here in Thailand, where the football is good, but it's not to the level of Brazil or Europe. Um, and then for that to bring the, their playing style here and their knowledge and their philosophy, is, it, was great to, um, it was great to be under their coaching. Yeah. So they <clears throat> taught you in a way of which they would also want to teach kids in Brazil and so you'd say that that was the philosophy they brought over over would you say that is still something that is a part of your game today yeah 100% my playing style definitely reflects the more 
um, Brazilian style of play. And also, I feel like some coaches that train effective could also probably um, support me on that as when I played um, back in Hamel. Um, but yeah. Hey, okay, can I hop in there and say, like, Sia, um, I, I was, I've been in Phuket twice the last 12 months. So for everyone, everyone who's listening, um, Phuket, Thailand, like, it's like a very, it's a beautiful destination, man. People just Google, like, Phuket, and you'll see it in Google Images, like, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And I think there's a lot of people um, from places like this in Asia, um, and they're like looking to do the same route as, as you've done looking to do the same thing. And it's like, well, what do you, what do you do? Because you're in Asia, um, you know, somewhere like Phuket is not necessarily known for, for football or, or, or sports in general for producing professional athletes. But now you're at the stage that you are like, <clears throat> what, what did you do? Because, because I've been to Phuket, like Phuket, man, it's Yeah. I mean, I don't see people playing football. I know, I know, football is popular in Thailand, but I don't see people running around playing football everywhere. So I'm like, you know, to see the skill level that you got now and where you're going, like, what besides the, the academy in Brazil, um, the Brazilian coaches, sorry, like, what else were you doing when you were younger to really get to the standard you got to? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if we bring it back to you know when I was playing football at school on the on the playground or you know just with my mates. Um, I, you know, the coaches noticed that and I think the teachers also noticed that I had um, a gifted sort of talent. I was always, I always had that natural ability. Um, I wasn't perfect. I wasn't an amazing player. But when I was young, I always had like that natural sporting athletic ability, um, not just with football, with, you know, the other sports I did when I was younger. Um, but especially when I joined Cruzeiro, I think I'm very thankful for Cruzeiro because if they went on Phuket, I don't know... Um, much else that would have brought me, you know, such like good footballing um, education. Um, but because of them, I went abroad many times at such a young age. Um, you know, ever since I joined them at 11 or 12, we were traveling internationally for tournaments. Um, that really did enhance my game because, you know, you see different parts of the world. You mature more from, you know, traveling, um, seeing different types of football, playing against different types of players, different types of age groups. Um, and then also when I went away, when they sent me away for trials um, and also to play with the actual team in Brazil when I played in Portugal, um, I feel like all this did gain a large, large amount of experience for me and enhance my footballing ability. Let's say be- before the age of 18, okay, how much t- and, and you before the age of 18 and you like, you know, have all your football experience, uh, all your all your time training, all your time playing, all that kind of stuff. How much, how much did you actually do uh, in Thailand versus abroad? Um, I would say all my training and all my uh, preparation and most of my playing was done in Thailand. So let's say about 70, 70, 75% in Thailand. And then the rest of it was abroad. Okay. And, and of that, like uh, of that 75% that you did in Thailand, um, how much of that was you doing stuff like alone with or without a team versus with a team? Um, so to give you like a perspective of the schedule that I was doing with my with Cruzeiro, yeah. we would train an hour in the morning, two times a week, Tuesday and Thursday, 
and then we'll train two hours every afternoon, Monday to Saturday. Um, so that's about, you know, six uh, six times in the afternoon, two times in the morning. So that's eight times a week training. Oh, Monday so to Saturday. Imagine. Every afternoon. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's so eight times a week. Um, it was it was quite a lot of training, you know. Um, but then I also also did a lot of stuff on my own. I always was in the gym um, the other mornings. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I was in the gym on my own. Um, and then also I'll stay after sometimes in the afternoon to hit the gym or uh, do some agility or finishing work. Um, I always had that um, sort of like motivation and urge to, to do more on my own. Yeah, because I was going to say like, and I think a lot of players are in these, these shoes where actually I know there are definitely some players listening and, and they are training with a team like four to eight times a week. And a lot of players go, yeah, that's enough for me. Like, you know, my my parents have said I shouldn't do more or the coach has said, look, um, take it easy. I don't want you to get injured. These kind of things. And I think, like, how many players were um, in, in that team of yours? Um, it was quite a large group of us. You know, there was, there was under 12 to the whole way up, you know, the whole way up to under 18. Mm. Um so, you know, there was about, let's say, 180 to 100 players. Okay. So, let's say 100 players, and you're obviously one of the ones that, that have stood out and, and, and gone beyond the, the standard. But um, do you think for most players, out of that 100, most players are, well, they just, they just didn't get to that next level? Um, I would say from Cruzeiro, there's about two or three players that I know that have reached a very, very high level. Mm. Um Besides that, a lot have chosen to go off to um, college or university in the US or they just play football, um, you know, for fun um, or they did it as like a, as an exercise or something along those lines. But um, yeah. Got you. Got you. So like you, even all of you guys were training like eight times a week, uh, but it's still only that handful that, that make it to the, to the next level. So yeah. like, do you think you doing that stuff at the gym um, – doing doing your stuff of the own uh, on your own like helped you kind of separate yourself from the others in your team which were sort of just doing what was told by the coach and 100 percent um 100 not only did it give me yeah not only did it give me um i think you know by training more it gives you more confidence because if you know you're putting in more work than anyone else they have no reason to be better than you um so you should like you get the, you know, you get what you put in, really. Um, and then also, I remember at the time I was about twelve or thirteen, more like thirteen, fourteen. Um, and then that's when the coach let me train with the the senior team, the under eighteens. Um, and I remember I was, you know, I wasn't the biggest guy; I was quite small. But then by hitting the gym and getting bigger, it gave me much more confidence as a person, but also on the field. Um, and everything I did, you know, gave me much more confidence. Yeah, I feel like for every player that's like trying to make that step up to the next level, they always need something that gives them that edge or that confidence that, you know, I'm I'm better than the others here because I've worked on this or I'm physically stronger or I've got I've got a better shot than everyone else because I've worked on it repeatedly at home or whatever it is. So do you think for you is that that physicality part which separated you? Um, I think it's a mixture of everything. Like, um, you know, all the speed, agility, cone work I did, or the technical work I did, the gym work. I try, I try to, you know, mix up everything. I didn't 
I wasn't trying to get big in the gym. I was just trying to get strong, really. Um, and then, you know, do whatever's best for my game, really. And I feel like by, you know, combining everything that I did and really, like, looking into it and trying to improve every aspect, it did make me a lot better and it gave me a lot more confidence, um, which is what I think is very important in football. Okay. One of Siam's keys right there. Major key, major yeah. key. And so, sorry, just just for context. So you said that you were doing the Monday to Saturday um, evening and then you had the two morning morning training sessions as well. How yeah. old were you at that time, as well as doing the individual work that you were doing? How old were you at that time when you were doing that training, those training sessions? So 13, yeah. I started 13. when I was 13 and I went the whole way through to about 17 with Cruzeiro. That's so so from early on putting in the putting in the hard graft, putting in the hours yeah. and, and training hard. So you said that um from the academy you then got the opportunity to to go abroad and, and play abroad as well. Um how did that come about? Where was where where were some clubs that you went abroad um to, to, to play for during that time? Yeah. So um at Cruzeiro, um we obviously played tournaments um nearly everywhere in the world really Portugal Spain Brazil Indonesia Malaysia China um, you know a lot of places in the world um, so my first experience of getting to play in a club abroad is when Cruzeiro in Phuket actually went away to Cruzeiro in Brazil as like an international you know coming together sort of tournament um, I played there when I was 13 in Belo Horizonte in Brazil and then that's when the the official team in uh, Brazil saw me play and invited me and one other player from the under-14 age group to play for their under-14 um, for the official team in Brazil. So at 14 years old, and you, you went over to Brazil. How long How long were you there in Brazil? We were there for two weeks, two, three weeks. Two weeks. And so, you know, you obviously grew up in Thailand. I'm, I'm presuming you didn't speak Portuguese. I, I, you might have, no, no. I might be wrong. So you didn't speak Portuguese. So... As a 14-year-old, sorry, how old are you? You said, sorry, 14? I was 14, around 13, 14. 14 at the time. Yeah. 13, 14 years old, don't speak the language. It's a culturally different, different, completely different place. Talk me through that experience. Obviously, there was everything to do with the football, but also what was it like? Was there a shock to the system for you to be out there for two to three weeks without the people that you know around you and in a whole yeah. new country? What was that like? Um, to be honest, at the time, I didn't think too much, probably because I was a little young. Um, but I remember my parents especially were, you know, worried because of the safety in Brazil. Um, it's a, it's very far away. It took about two days to get there, uh, 48 hours of flying really. Um, when I was there, I didn't worry too much because I was surrounded by, you know, guys doing the same thing, playing football and sleeping. That's basically what we were doing. That's all we wanted to do. Um, but I remember when it took about, uh, we were about a week in and that's when I started missing home, um. You know, calling my mom and dad every day, um, and they're missing the food. The food's different, um, the air's different, the weather's different, and you weren't allowed anywhere else besides from the hotel and your the football field. So it's a different life, and you know, it's a different environment. And so, through the connections that you had at Cruzeiro, I believe you also had a chance to also go to Sporting uh, Liz Sporting Lisbon in, in Portugal, and you had some t yeah. t uh, time to train there. Um, yeah. How did that come about, and how was that process of training with Sporting? Yeah. So after I went back from uh, my experience in Brazil, 
think it was about a few months and then I said to the coaches you know I'm, I'm about 14 14 now and if I want to make it professional I think it's better I go abroad than stay in Thailand um, to where he linked me with uh, his friend and his agent who's in Portugal um, he was my agent at the time um, and he linked me with uh, Sporting Lisbon uh, yeah and I went I went and had a trial with them for about two weeks when I was 14 and I went back again when I was 15 um, and then it was a successful trial training them for two weeks the coach really liked me the only problem then was um, my passport and my age uh, because I wasn't Portuguese of course I was only 14 um, and yeah it was a successful trial and they invited me back the next year and so I was going to say I don't get some agents and, and these, you know, some trials where like some very good players will go over to Portugal or to places where like they don't, they can't actually play there because of their visa or their passport. They literally can't. Like if you have a, like, for every, um, let's give an example here. For every like American player that's under the age of say 18 that wants to go play in, uh, in Europe, like it's very difficult. Um, it's almost impossible unless I think there are a few countries which allow it. But guys, if you just look at FIFA rules um, and you're a minor, which means you're under the age of 18, like it's very hard to play like without a European passport um, in Europe. So like, and so I don't get it. Like when, when agents and, and yeah, uh, people that connect people, they, they say, yeah, I'm going to get you a trial at Sporting Lisbon and then you're good enough. But you you actually legally like can't play in the team. Yeah. But I'm wondering your experience. Like, how did you, then? How did you make it work? Um, so I didn't sign officially with Sporting. I got mm-hmm. accepted um, from my trial, and you know they always uh, try to sign me when I reach 16. So at the time, because I, I'm English, I have an English passport. Um, he, uh, England was still, the UK was still in um, you know still considered European. Yeah. This was prior prior to Brexit. Um. So at the time, I was hoping to sign at 16, which, which is why I went back when I was 15, the year after, and was still training with the squad. Um, and then, yeah, Brexit, Brexit happened, and then that pushed my age back, as I'm not European anymore, it pushed my age back from 16 to 18, um, to where it was like, oh, we don't know if uh, we can wait another two years until I sign with you know the club in Portugal. Um, and bear in mind, I was still at Cruzeiro training every day. I was just going back to sporting, um, whenever I had like a school holiday or whenever it was a break or pre-season mid-season yeah and how difficult was that in that moment for you because you know so many players want to get trials at clubs like sporting um, once they get there so many of them will try their best and hope to be accepted and be brought in you obviously did those two things but then you couldn't go in because of something that was completely out of your hand uh, out of your hands so what was that like and how were you feeling at the moment at which you were told sorry we can't take you on because of this yeah um i, I remember when i was told that i made it but um i couldn't sign because due to my age i remember that being very annoying because i was like all i wanted to do was be there um be in the system be with them be at you know one of the biggest clubs in portugal you know ronaldo's youth club um and then i remember like the year after when I found out that I couldn't sign because of, um, you know, all these rules and stuff that just out of my control. I remember breaking down in my, in my bedroom, um, thinking that everything was over. 
um, and I had I had no chance to go to Europe because of you know stuff that I can't control. Um, but I got it. I got over it pretty quickly um, because you know I had a, I, have a, I have a very supportive family. I got a lot of good people around me. Um, you know, they made me come to realize that there is other options. Um, there's always another option. And if you want it bad enough, you'll get it. Like, and Nixon, uh, well, Nixon, just before you go, like, so already at this point, like your age, what, uh, 16, 17? Um, I, when I found out about sporting, 15. 15, okay. So already you've gone through this process of like, because football is a roller coaster. Like these, the story you're sharing, I've heard hundreds of times, literally. So for everyone that's on this journey, like, and you, you want to be a footballer or you want to, you want to make it something something big in life. You want to be something big. Uh, it's a roller coaster, and you you never know where the journey will take you. And already at fifteen, you've had this everything from homesickness, which is real. I've gone through that myself, and like <laughs> it's very hard. Which I wanted to ask how you got over that, but and we'll get to it. Um, but you've gone through the ho- homesickness. You've gone through the roller coaster ride of already like oh what where am I going to be? What where am I going to live? Like what club am I going to be at? Is is football even going to be a career for me because of how my passport works? And I got school like that's finishing up, and I need like were your were your parents also like yeah, uh, hey, focus on getting a um, good grades in school and education? Or um, well, one of the benefits of being at Cruzeiro, it was like tied um, and joint with um, the British National School in Phuket, which is where I did IGCSEs, and also there's an IB program there. Okay. Um, so I was always quite, quite safe in terms of education. Um, you know, I wouldn't be able to play football if I didn't um, attain, you know, a realistic grades in at school. Um, which is, I think, I got the best of both worlds, if you could say. Um, so I'm extremely grateful for that. But then it was always like, okay, if there's a realistic journey with football, I'm going to go for football. Okay. All right, so like this is a moment where a lot of players are thinking about with their education and football and everything. So you did GCSEs, which yeah. for people who don't know what GCSEs are, it's like the uh, uh, when you do secondary school in the UK, uh, it's like your what do you call, like your grades. It's it's your uh, I don't know, guys, help me out. Your uh... it's basically uh, like so it's the the tests that come at the age of sixteen. And then from 16 to 18 in the UK, you do something which is called A-levels. But yeah, essentially GCSEs, when you get to 16, those are the exams that you do at 16 to evaluate where you can go next, et cetera. Right, right, exactly. So if you get good GCSEs, then um, then good A-levels, and then like you can go to a good university. And so yeah. you, you're saying you did, did you do A-levels or did you do uh, IB? Um, so I did a year and a half of IB. Um, when I was at uh, the British National School, but then I left to do trials in Portugal. And then I went to um, the UK after to where I joined you guys. And then during that period of me traveling, I did online A-levels. I took a business um, business A-levels. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And you did a year and a half of IB, like as in when yeah. the final two years of school? It was my final two years. Um, so I only had about, you know, a year left. Wow. Because if you're already going that far in the program, it's like you're almost you're almost done. Yeah, like, yeah. Man, that is sacrifice. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, IB for anyone that's doesn't know, it's international baccalaureate. So they have this a lot of. Uh, pretty much every international school has a IB program, and um, it's like pretty intensive. 
it's I didn't do it myself because I wanted it's to do so it. It's, it's really tough, guys. Like, I know many people when I was like 15, they'd come play football every day, football every afternoon, every day. Like, and then as soon as they got to IB, you didn't see them anymore. They're just in the library. Um, yeah. So, yeah, okay. But respect, respect to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also, as well, I'd like to just say that, like, you know, I feel like with a lot of, um, people that you know want to make it pro and have aspirations to do well in football um when it gets to that age of sort of 15 16 they they either choose the path of right i'm either going to go the, the the route of university or education or i'm going to go the, the route of football and actually you talk to a lot of people and actually find that actually they didn't have to pick one they they went yeah. with both they put time aside for both and when it got to the critical moment then they decided right i'm going to go this way i'm going to go that way if you take the case of axel twanzebi a manchester united player he grew up at the academy there. You know, he aced all of his grades, but he still was prominent in the Man United Academy. He still captained the side from very from a very young age. So, yeah, you don't always have to pick. And, and if you put your mind to it, I guess you can do both. Um, but, but just, just, on, this, just, just on this, because like, I think so many players are in school watching this. And, cause, and, and I feel like we've all been there with this crossroads where you have to choose one or the other. And like, I know a lot of friends with this IB thing that's so intense that... Mm -hmm. At 15, 16, they're like, yeah, it's either I'm going to play football or it's nothing. Um, and then they just go all in on the IB because that's that's sort of, that's what they need to choose in their yeah. head. But actually, no, it's totally, like, you can actually do both. Um, yeah. It's really hard. Like, I don't, bro, you have to, see, you have to tell how you, you have to tell the audience, like, how you actually manage your time. Yeah. Because, because yeah, let, let's just get to that next. Sorry, Nixon, I'm butting in, but. I think it's <laughs> this could be great, uh, great content for people listening. Yeah. Um, but like you can do, you can do both. And I think the way I've always looked at this is you've got 168 hours in a week, so 24 hours mm -hmm. times 7, 168, and 60, 68 hours a week you're sleeping um, and uh, resting and commuting and w whatever. Like you have 100 hours a week to do whatever you want to do. And <clears throat> I reckon you can get pretty good, decent grades with like. Look, if you're really focused and you didn't have your phone next to you and you're actually paying attention in class and and like you actually did deep work, um, no distractions, like you could you can get really decent grades with maybe 30, 30 hours of uh, 30 hours a week of actually pure like focus. hundred um, percent. Which leaves you with 70 hours. Guys, like, guys, for everyone listening, think about if you're in school, think about how much time you waste like daydreaming in class. Like when you're doing your homework, you got your phone next to you, and like someone's someone sent something on Snapchat, and you guys like yeah. uh, you can actually get good good grades and actually succeed with. I reckon, like you're only if you just used thirty percent of your forty percent of your time that you would otherwise spend in school, but you actually focus, you'd get the same results. Anyway, um, no, yeah, I, I agree hundred percent. I remember um, yeah. coming to a realization at the end of my GCSEs that um, if I focused, you know, it was a one hour class. If I focused 100% for that one hour, I didn't actually need to do any homework at home. I didn't need to do any extra revision. It was enough um, what they taught in class. Um, and if I, if, you know, if I listened 100% of the time, I wouldn't, I would have the rest of the time free or training my football. Um, yeah, 100%, I agree with you. Yeah. See, like, these are big, big winning mentality hacks, guys. Like, I'll show you one one more. Um, I remember I'd like I'd be in some classes and 
uh, I just wouldn't learn much in the class. I just couldn't, I don't know, the teacher just wasn't doing it for me. Like I knew I could learn what that teacher was saying in, in 10 minutes in a YouTube video rather than like a two hour or one hour lecture. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to use this time. And I want to, I want to improve my tactical brain in, in football. So I, I literally, yeah, don't tell the teacher this, but like I put the phone in the, um, in the pencil case. So like it was hidden from view and I watch all this like a football analysis and stuff. And just like, I'd like have my notebook out, but I was actually looking at my pencil case and taking notes about the football game and about where someone was running and off the ball movements and things like that. And, um, and yeah, like, yeah, use every hour, every minute of the day productively guys. And you'll be amazed with how far you can go. Yeah. yeah, and and on that as well, as a footballer, you train, you play matches. Your body needs time to recover, and so you know it's how you choose to spend that time when your body's re resting and recovering. How do you use that time? Um, whether it's studying, whether it's tactical analysis, and and it's how you use that time to be productive. Essentially, um, just going back to to what we were speaking about earlier, and and firstly, like really, really good on you for bouncing back from that because I can imagine how crushing that would have been, but. During your time at Sporting, obviously Sporting, like you say, one of the most successful clubs in Portugal and constantly in the Champions League, etc. Was there anything that while you were there, you were like, right, I can see this, I can see that, and I can see that. That is why this club is an elite club. This is what they're doing different to other places that I've seen. Was there anything like that that caught your eye that they do differently? 100%. I realised, um, you know, I, I remember it's quite, it was quite a hostile environment. Actually, the first time I walked into the the changing rooms because you know you got to view it as competition when you're a professional player um i walked in no one was friendly to me no one said hello um it's my sport it's your sport and that's that, that was their mentality um so you know i took it on my chin i walked in found my own spot and then i did the talking on the football field um and then another thing i realized is when i was on the football field everyone trains 100 percent every day 200 percent every day it's every ball is life or death um and then I'll say, I'll say the third thing I picked up is when you're in the gym or, you know, when you're in the locker room, no phones. They don't touch their phones. There's rules there in place. No phones. It's fully focused. Um, you know, 30 minutes an hour before you get on the field. And in the gyms, no phone at all. I remember getting told off because I actually brought my phone into the gym once. And then I, you know, it's just, it's small little habits and um, that you just get into. Um, and after that, it's, it's natural. And where was this, Sian? Which club was this? This was at Sporting. Ah, Sporting. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, there you go. Super competitive then. Because as well, I'm guessing sort of at a young age, you know, everyone's really trying to fight to make it through. Whereas, obviously, when you get a little bit more senior and you go into a team, perhaps some of the guys are already playing at, at clubs and so it's more like we're coming together. Whereas in an academy, it's like, right, that guy's coming. He might take my spot. I can't be, yeah. you know, too friendly. Exactly. I need to be competitive. Yeah. And that's sort of you got to take it as healthy competition, don't you? You, you can't take it. Not, it's not personal. It's just a matter of, you know, you're all trying to achieve the, the same the same dream, I guess. But why why was the phone such a big deal? Like, no phones. So would you say no phones in the gym? Uh, no phones in the gym? In the locker rooms, you allow on your phone, but it wasn't like, um, you know, if the coach comes in, if it's like 30 minutes before or an hour before, or if you had a meeting or something, no phones. Um, I remember seeing it um, on the walls at, you know, of the of the facilities that just said no phones in the gym, no phones here, no phones there. Um, 
and especially in the gym, I understand in the gym, you know, you're there to get your work done. You're not there to lay around and um, be scrolling on your phone. And, you know, I was shocked when I got told off about it the first time I was there. Um, but uh, I see why. I kind of understand why. Yeah, just like full concentration. You're here for yeah. to do this work. It's not, it's not a walk. It shouldn't be a walk in the park. Be concentrated. Focus on your reps. Yeah. Okay. Got it. That's also something obviously you'll definitely realize as well, even at the very, very top level. And even like sometimes when I've seen post-match gate and and they're in their they're in their dressing rooms and they're all sat on their phones, and then sometimes like that that sort of surprised me because I was a bit like just surprised at the fact that you've just gone out and won a Premier League game and then you've come back and sat on your phone. But um, yeah, I guess that's the way it is. So yeah. you then end up training in in the UK, right? So I believe it was with Exeter and uh, Wickham Wanderers. Yeah, you you trained with, so yeah. Talk me through that process, that journey, um, and was there anything about the English game, um, you know, which stood out to you in comparison to other places you had played? Yeah, so um, actually, before I went over to England, it was um, when I went from Bangkok to Portugal again. So this is my second trip to Portugal, and I went to a club called Estoril Praia, which they won the you know the Portuguese under twenty three league two years in a row. Um, I was seven, 16, 17 at the time. Yeah, I was 17 at the time. Um, and I went to a trial with them for two weeks directly from Bangkok. Um, another successful trial. Um, it, was, it was really good. It was, it was quite hard this time. I would say this was actually harder than sporting because everyone was more physically built. It was older, more competition. The players were actually better than when I remember before. Um, and it was, you know, it was the top of the league. Um, and it was a successful trial and then once again when I was waiting for an answer from Istoril whether I made it or whether they can support me until I'm 18 to where I could sign I went over to uh, the UK and then the first club was it was actually Hemel first and then I went to Exeter and how was that that um, that journey of in England playing in Exeter in the training sessions what were they like? Um, was there anything you picked out in the playing style or the aggressiveness or anything like that that was different to, to Portugal or to Brazil or to Thailand? Yeah, so especially when I was with Hemel, um, I went to a, first I went to a train effective, uh, the one-day camp with train effective. And then that's when Hemel was like, oh, you can train with us um, to where I trained with them for I think it was about a week, or if not two. Um, and then where I played the FA Cup game no, no, it wasn't FA Cup. Yeah, I played a friendly game. Um, I played a friendly game with against one of the teams nearby. Um, and then that's when I realized, you know, everyone's technically decent in the UK. But then one side that I really realized was the physicality. If they're going to hit someone, they're going to go straight through you. Um, and, that's, and that's one thing I realized while playing in the UK. It wasn't as... Um, the biggest difference I realized from England to Portugal was Portugal was more... Um, it was more technical, whereas England's a combination of both. Yeah, actually, what you were saying about when you, your time at um, Estoril is that um, we were speaking to, to Simon on the last pod and he was basically talking about something which is called mortgage football. And it's basically the concept of you're playing in an academy, you're playing with technical players, good, talented players, don't get me wrong, but... They are proved. They're they're playing to prove how they play. They're they're skillful. That they're, they're technically good. When you play against quote unquote men, and you're in a league where there there's uh, pay bonuses for every win. 
for if you score a goal, there's pay bonuses. These are games where there is a lot riding on each and every game for these footballers, for that grown men that have mortgages to pay. That's why it's called mortgage football, that have bills to pay. And so when you go to that level of football, you realise, A, obviously the aggressiveness because of how much they want it, but also, like like, like I said, they're grown men. It's much more physical. It's, it's, it's tough like that. Um, and so I guess that's where you say sort of like the the in-between between being technical, but also intense and physical as well. Um so that makes sense. And so after your, your time in England, you then return um, to Thailand, I believe, right? And mm-hmm. that's when you start playing um, for police terror. But during your time there, you are told about um, the Bayern Munich World Squad and you're told to apply. So for our audience members that may not already know, can you please just explain what is um, the Bayern Munich World Squad and, and how that came about for you? Yeah, um, so I remember... Uh, being at a national team camp here in Thailand. I was playing with the U19 Thai national team. Um, and then one of my teammates from the year before who was training with me, he went the year before to the Bayern Munich World Squad. And from what I've saw and from what, you know, all the news articles and the and the press said about it, it was, it was such a great experience and such a great opportunity, especially for a player from Thailand to where he told me about it at the camp and then I obviously signed up for it. Um, sent in my CV, sent in my highlights um, to where at the camp I actually got a reply straight away from Bayern for a one-on-one meeting. And so talk me through how you were feeling in that moment. So firstly, I believe they, they wanted to interview you and there was a bit of a process before you actually got in. So how are you feeling throughout that? But also, how are you then feeling the moment when they told you, you you're in and, and, we, want, and you, we want you to come over? Yeah, um, so I remember them telling me on the first interview that uh, the reason they're speaking to me is they're, they're down to the last, you know, 100 or so applicants um, from 2,000 or 3,000 applicants. Um, so first off, I was like, oh, I got I got down to, the, you know, the final 100. Let's see where this goes. And they said they'll contact me again if, um, you know, I'm in the selected selected players. And basically what they were saying to me on the call was they were just trying to find out more about me more about my playing style, where I've been, my experience. Um, and then it was about only about a week later, they contacted me back saying, you know, we're, we're choosing you as our player from Thailand. And I um, remember being over the moon. Yeah. And so they sort of based who they, they took on to onto this team in terms of your CV or you as a character. Or what, what, what do you think? Um, was the basis of which they chose the the selected few players that got to go in? So from what I know with Bayern, they have a very big scouting team. Um, And obviously with highlights and with CVs, it's very hard to, you know, choose, uh, to see the, you know, the, what do you call it? A very, see it transparently. Is that the word? Um, To see it transparently, the the actual player, not just from highlights or a CV, but then from from you interviewing the player, they asked about, you know, what clubs you've been at, if they, the clubs are good enough and um, along those lines. And obviously I was with the under-19 national team, so I think that took it, that gave them quite a good um, gist of the player I was. So you then get excited, I mean, sorry, you then get accepted in and you're obviously absolutely over the moon, just as anyone would be. Um, so then you go there and you're then training with players from just about everywhere in the world. Um, and as well as that, you're you're working with some seriously like top coaches. 
So how good was that experience for you as a player in terms of a being coached by the by the coaches that that, that were there, but also um, with playing from players from all over the world? Um, I think I remember um, the Bayern Munich World Squad last year as you know one of my best footballing experiences. To be honest, it's definitely number one or number two up there. Not just because of the experience, but we you know the coaches were incredible. The way I played there was was good. Um, I was satisfied with my performance, and then also the things I learned, the connections I made um, with Bayern was just unreal. Are you still connected with with the any of the players or the coaches to this day now? Yeah, so the good thing about Bayern is I'm actually going back this year to um, another World Squad this year. I've been invited back. Um, and the good thing about Bayern is they do update calls every month to monitor the players, to you know check the status, to see how they're doing with the footballing career, um, and just to make sure they're healthy and stuff, um, which is very, very good from them, I feel, yeah. Yeah, and I think um, I think we 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 spoke about this in in a, in a different podcast, but like the there's a massive importance on networking when you're in scenarios like that. Um, you know, meet players and like-minded individuals who are on the same journey as you, and from them you can learn. From them you can um, gain access to other opportunities that that, that you might not already know of. Um, so yeah, I think net, networking and especially in a scenario like that for you at the Bayern Munich World Squad is is really important. So. Talk to me about then the moment you walk out at the Allianz Arena. There is 20,000 people in the stadium, 40,000 eyes on you. Um, yeah, what, what was that like? I remember walking out for, um, well, first it was the, the first team, the first team, was it, first team training, open training. And I remember sitting as one of the fans in the stands and looking around and thinking, you know, the amount of people here are crazy. And this was the biggest stadium I've ever played in. You know, the roof comes hanging over the top. Um, the field's perfect. The atmosphere is crazy. It's loud. Everyone's passionate. And then, you know, thinking and knowing that I was going to be playing there within 20, 30 minutes was, it was surreal, really. Um, and then the moment I stepped on the field, it's a different feeling being on the field and being in the stands. Because when you're in the field, there's a, there's a sense of aloneness, but then there's a sense that everyone's watching you. Um, and it was like, sort of like a, if you've been to a concert or something, it was just crazy. Yeah. Were you were you nervous? Were you scared? I feel like I was. There was a lot of adrenaline going through me, to be honest. At the time, um, I was. I think I had a pinch of nerves, um, but I was just there to play football. I have a quick question for you, like. <clears throat> You know, if you're playing in a stadium where there's tens of thousands of people versus playing in a field where maybe there's 50 people watching, like, do you, which situation do you feel like you play better? For me, 100%, you know, in a field with no one. Um, really? But then you have to realise that that's part of being a professional player. And that's what I've realised now that I am a professional player. You have to perform when whoever's watching or whenever. So, so you think, so when when you are stepping on the field with with, um, with thousands of people there, you feel what do you feel that um, that makes you say say you, you prefer the the smaller crowd? What makes you say that? You know, having eyes on you definitely brings pressure. Not only pressure to perform, but you know, maybe expectations or how they'll judge you or. 
it makes the atmosphere more surreal. So with all the noise, with the cheering, um, you know, every tackle is, you know, a scream here, a scream there, or you know how the atmosphere is in, you know, in the Premier League. Um, you know, the fans, the trolling, all of that. Um, it's it's what the fans bring, but it could ha- it could affect you positively or it could affect you negatively. And for me, it just it doesn't doesn't do either. But it's just if I had a preference, um, I would choose. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Because you know, so many players have this dream of like, yeah, I want to play in front of uh, fifty thousand people at the or sixty thousand people at the Emirates, and you know, I want that big atmosphere, and then. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm living. That's what I live for for that 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 opportunity, that moment. And then, yeah, okay, I can see some players are like, okay, no, I just want to play football. Like, it doesn't matter who's watching. I just want to play. No, but hundred percent. If I if I got to choose, if you say where I play better, I'd probably say on a field with no one. But if you, if I got if I had a choice between you know fifty thousand people watching me or on a field, I'd definitely choose fifty thousand any day just to make the atmosphere and everything better. Yeah, yeah, and it's good content, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's 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 crazy. It's it's a different feeling. It's it's uh, I've never felt it before. Yeah, but it was nice. But that's also where the experience kicks in, and that's where obviously, like when people talk about, oh, this player's had this much experience, and he's you know we we might go for him because he's got that experience. It's that kind of stuff that often makes the difference. You know, you could have two players, and well, one is technically better, and he's more talented, and overall his, his game is better. But the other one has played more at the top level or he's played in front of, like you say, 20,000 people. And that all comes with getting used to it and, and eradicating those nerves that come with the fact that there's all these eyes looking at you. So the fact that you've already got that experience once is is massive. And, and like you say, you're going back, so you'll build that even more. And that's another thing that our scout, Simon, was touching on. That You know, you play academy football, there's no one watching. You go to even the, lo- the lowest leagues of England, there's at least four or 5,000 people in the stadium. So how can you cope yeah. with that? Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's definitely with experience and it comes with time. Um, so then after that experience, you're, you're returning back to, to Thailand. You're, you're playing your regular football. Um, we, were, we were speaking before the pod and you were telling me about how you've been out on loan. So, yeah, talk us through through that time right now and, and how this season is going for you. Um, yeah. Yeah, so since I joined Police Tarot, um, you know, the mid-table, now we're doing actually in the top, you know, we're in the top eight um, of the T1 Premier League. Um, so it's quite a good team, a very good team in um, in Thailand here, a very well-known team. Um, and I was playing, you know, I was on the bench almost every game. I was never left out um, in the team list, but um, I played uh, 10 minutes a game, 20 minutes a game if I'm lucky, um, depending on how the game goes. If they need an attacking player to, you know, strengthen up the, the attack. But then for me as a young player, I felt that wasn't enough. I always wanted to play 90 minutes every game. I want to be the one scoring the goals. I want to be the one, you know, deciding the game. And for me, the only way to do that at the time was to go find a club that will play me 90 minutes every game um, to where I am now, Bangkok FC. Um, I've only been here for a few games. I've played I've played more minutes than I have back at Police Tarot, but I'm still waiting to see the rest of the season and how it goes. And what's that even just conversation like? So... You know, you're at Police Terror and they're doing well and it's a good club to be at. Of course it is. But you want to be playing more. And so how do you go about setting that out? And who do you speak to? And, and what was that process like? Yeah, um, so definitely I spoke to the coach directly first just to ask him for his opinion, 
for what he's thinking, if he's going to use me or not. If he's not, is it all right if I go away? Because at the end of the day, it's the coach's permission, it's the club's permission if I can go on loan. Um, I'm under contract with them for three and a half years. So I need to speak to them first. And then also you have to find a team. So I have an agent. He has to he has to help me find a team that's suitable for me, for my playing style. Um, if they're going to give me minutes, if they're a team that, um, you know, is reputable. Um, and yeah, that, that's, you know, the discussion we have really. It took about two, two, three weeks of like a serious discussion. But at the end of the end, yeah, it goes through. Do, do you think like for any player that's that's listening and they're on the bench or not getting a full 90 minutes and they don't know what to do, maybe they want to leave the team or like, what, what do you think they should do? Do you think the first thing they should do is just go talk straight to the one-on-one to their coach? Yeah, um, I remember, I think it can be such small things sometimes. Um, sometimes if you just change a little part of your game or your attitude or your, you know, a mistake that you keep repeating and make. Um, if you just change it a little bit, it could put you into the first 11. It's really a discussion that you need to have with the coach and you have to be honest with the coach and the coach has to be honest with you or else um, nothing's going to change your situation. And especially uh, around my age, 17, 18, um, from what I've heard and what I've known from speaking to, you know, a lot of people with experience, they told me that this is the most, you know, the most important years of your life. It determines of your footballing career, really. It determines whether you know you make it to the next stage or you need to play really. So it goes wherever. It, it doesn't matter if you're at the biggest club. If you don't play, it's, it doesn't benefit you. You have to go where you play. Yeah. And are the coaches always honest? So, you know, say if it's the beginning of the season and the coach needs to have however many players in his squad because he just needs the numbers in case. Have you gone to your coach before the season starts and said, hey, coach, what are your plans for me this season? Am I going to be spying? Am I going to be on the bench? And do you find that they're always honest or are they sometimes looking out for their own interests rather than yours? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a hard question because um, I didn't have many conversations with my coach. I had, I, you know, I sort of left, left it um, to last resort to where I'm like, all right, I'm not playing. I really have to do something about this. And then I spoke to him. Um, because I was I was always in the team list. I was always, you know, getting 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And I understood, you know, it was my first year in professional football. Um, but if you ask me the question, if coaches are always honest, it's hard because, you know, they're human as well and they have a lot to manage. Um, I understand that. But then you have to, as a player, you have to find, you, you know, your best interest has to be in yourself because it's it's a business at the end of the day. Um, They'll play who they want. And if they're not playing you, it's like hard luck. you got to go find somewhere that they'll play you. So you always got to, you know, respect yourself before anyone. Yeah, you, you, you do have to look look out for yourself. It can at times be quite a harsh um, sport and business, if you like. Um, so like you say, yeah, you do have to look out for your best interests in the same way the coach might sometimes look out for their um, yeah. own best interests. So so you're, you're on loan now and... And this is a two-parted question. I'll come to the first part um, now. What are some of your short-term and long-term goals? So short-term maybe this season, long-term in a few years' time. What are some goals that you've set out for yourself going forward? Um, yeah, I've actually thought about this quite a lot recently. Um, my short-term goals are, you know, to establish myself more within Thai football. 
So if I have a chance to play, I want to be scoring goals. I want to make assists. Um, and a lot of that's down to just working hard and training every day and proving to, you know, whoever I have to prove to that I should be on the field over whoever my competition is. Um, yeah, so establishing myself with goals and stats and assists just to prove myself. Um, and then my long-term goals is obviously to go back to Europe to where I've always dreamt of playing, where I always felt more comfortable playing because of the playing style, because of the mentality, um, the people there. I, I think I get along with better on the football field than over here. Um, and hopefully assign with a, you know, a good club over in Europe and start playing there again. Right, and then the 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 second part of the of the question that I wanted to come to is because I've heard that you've said that, um, you know, you've got some some belief and confidence in Thai football as a whole, um, and so you believe that it can go to places perhaps it hasn't been so far. Talk me through that a little bit, and and maybe give our um audience a little bit of um context with that. Yeah, so a lot of what I've seen here in Thailand is the players are you know they might not be physically the best, they're physically not bad. But they're not the best. But especially technically, and um, with like you know, their mentality and hard work, they they can go far, a lot, a very very far. Um, because to be honest, if you compare English players to Thai players at a youth level, there's not much difference, technically. Um, I'll say the only difference there does become is the physicality because of you know, being English and being um, Thai. Um, but then you see a lot of players now. Recently, in recent years, playing Japan, which is technically incredible. The speed of tempo of play is, is very high, and you know, Japan's a very high level of football. Um, so yeah, I think I feel like Thailand has so much potential in terms of you know, like the players that can actually go abroad if they did you know bring a better infrastructure to Thai football, or better youth academies, or um, support in in that sort of sense. Okay, so so going off that, uh, have Th- I'm not sure about this, but have Thailand been to the World Cup before? No, not the men's, but the women's have. Right. Okay. So let's say you're 26 years old, right? Um, and Thailand have just qualified to to go into to the first World Cup. Meanwhile, you could also play for England at the World Cup, and you're obviously half English, half Thai. What side would you pick in that scenario? Obviously, um, that's sort of like a fairy tale question because if I if I could just pick without any um, yeah without any factors involved, then I would obviously pick England because you know it's you know playing with the best players in the world. But then if you had to be realistic and you know who I've played for before, played for Thailand, you know under fifteen level, under sixteen level, and also under nineteen level. Um, it's a question. It's a very hard question just to put my finger on. I know the question. What if okay? What if uh, you're like on the bench for England? Like you know, you'd be a bench player because I don't know. Rashford is on fire. He uh-huh. he continues he is, in the next five years, <laughs> ten years. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, and so you have to, you know you're going to be in the bench or you're going to be a star for Thailand. You know I'm you're going to play ninety minutes every I'll, game. I'll you're like for, Ronaldo for Thailand. I'll play for Thailand. <laughs> okay, hundred percent. I love that. Hundred yeah, percent. Hey, listen, we'll, we'll be rooting for Thailand and, and if they get through, yeah. we'll, we'll be cheering for you guys, man. I wish you were the best in that. Yeah, um, you never know, they never know. Yeah, man. Yeah, of course. So, 
I'm going to show our audience one video before I move on uh, to the next question, which I have. So I'll show them now. Yeah, I'll try to take um, one day off a week, just, you know, let the body rest. I feel that's important. I would have a combination of technical work, strength work and teamwork. And then in my own individual time, I'll do um, technical work with the ball, but then also in the gym, strength work specific to football movements, you know, upper body strength, lower body strength, reduce the rinse of injury. Okay, so that was um, when you were at the, the train effective camp at Hemel, like you say. Um, and so that we, we've, we've briefly spoken about your routine when you were just even 14 years old. And even that in itself sounded very busy and, 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 it, and it was hard. Um, talk me through your week and, you know, when is the rest days? When are the strength work? Talk me through that. Yeah, so um, it would be, it was, you know, it was still there. Oh, like he's cut. He's he's cut. Something happened on the Wi-Fi. But go on, go on. All right, yeah. So if I talk you through my week, it would be Monday morning. I'd be in the gym doing strength training on my own. Um, this wasn't a team, a team, um, a team training. It was just something I chose to do on my own Monday morning. Monday afternoon would be two hours in the afternoon with the with the team. Tuesday morning would be football specific movements with the team. Um, Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon would be another team session out on the field. Wednesday morning would be me doing another session on my own in the gym, you know, strength work. Wednesday, out on the field again. Wednesday afternoon, out on the field. Thursday morning, strength, football specific, um, in the gym with the team. Thursday afternoon, on the field again. Friday morning, I'd be in the gym again on my own. Um, I wouldn't go so heavy on a Friday as we normally play a match on Saturday. Um, and then Friday afternoon, normally just a calmer day. Um, and then yeah, Saturday, Saturday on the field again, normally a match. Yeah. And so you know, it, it's such a busy, like you like I just said there, it's such a busy week schedule there, and obviously constant football and training. How do you personally switch off? What are some things that you do to take your mind away? Do you have other hobbies that you take up, and and how do you sort of escape sometimes from football if need be? Yeah. Um, I remember at this time in my life, it was it was very full on. I'd go home and I'd, you know, I wouldn't have any time I'd eat and then I'd hit the bed and it would just be asleep. And the next thing I know, I'd be up in the morning training again. Um, it was very, very hard to manage, especially with school because straight after training, I'd get about you know, 20 minutes after being in class. And then it was like that until after school, I'd get about 45, an hour, and then it was back on the, back on the field. Um, so it was full on, but then we had, we had every... We had every some of Saturday and all of Sunday off, so that was my really you could say rest time. Um, but then besides that, oh, I don't know how I really managed to be honest. It was always always just it's quite a blur thinking about it now. Um, I feel like I could say a lot of it was football was like a stress reliever with school because every time I was in class, I remember I just want to play football and I never really got tired of it. Obviously, you'd be tired after the match or during training, but. That's all you want to do, really, especially with the friends I was with and all the other players I was with. That's all they wanted to do, too. And I remember, you know, at school, all we were talking about is or oh, how we're going to play this weekend on the match or how we're going to combine to score this goal or what tournament we're going to win. And it was always, it was always, you know, how hopeful and youthful kids are when they think about football. It's all they want to do. Um, but then now I do get, I do get quite tired. <laughs> <laughs> I was also going to say, like, you know, the, what you've described in this podcast 
I think the everyone listening will touch upon like you know it, it's a it's a real like can be a real roller coaster journey. There's a lots of ups and downs. You're never you're never guaranteed anything. You can you have lots of difficult conversations with coaches with what your future will be. Nothing's ever certain. Um, and when when you're talking about your days at, days at school, it seems like life was a well, the way you put it, life maybe was an easier time because you know um, all you're talking about with your mates is, is when you're going to play football next and, and all this kind of stuff. Now now it's a profession for you. Football's your your profession. Um, yeah. Do you still have the same like joy and 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 passion now as as you know compared to when you were um, a kid? Yeah, um, definitely because I wouldn't. I don't think I would pursue football if I wasn't so sure that. I enjoy it. I've always wanted to do something, you know, I always wanted my job to be something I enjoy. And I'm, you know, I'm very lucky to be able to play football as my profession. I would say that there's more on the line now when you play. Um, it's much more serious. You know, a mistake can, you know, it, it, it means something if you do make a mistake and that's being a professional footballer. There's a lot that comes with it, not just from what's inside the club, from the coach or from the president of the club, but also from the fans, for the team. You know, for the the whole, you know, what happens behind the scenes. Um, there's so much more that means something behind the scenes. Um, and that's the reality of football. It could be, I would say, the pressure and the the pressure is much more than when you're in youth football. Um, but it's always, you know, it's always fun to train. It's still football at the end of the day. Yeah. Okay, cool. Is, it, is there like a number one thing you'd suggest to everyone to like, to to because okay everything's like this pressure that you got weight in your shoulders like what what's the one thing that you do that just de-stresses a situation yeah um, i think especially if you're going to be a football player you need to be strong mentally because you know as you said nick um football's footballer's life is a roller coaster mm. and in every bad situation you must persevere and i think perseverance is the most important thing yeah, yeah um, but, every, okay. like this is tried and true. Like you know, we have Rio Ferdinand on the mentality yeah. course app. He'll say that every episode. But mm -hmm. what Rio also said, uh, I don't know if this was filmed, but when we're talking, me, Rio, and the team when we're filming, it's, he's he'd also be like, he'd actually go out uh, some nights and have a really big night because that's the way he could. Uh, just like de-stress from the situation but like mm -hmm. i think i think these these traits where you know the mentality hard work this is all all like tried and tested like you you got to have this mindset you're not going to succeed basically yeah At the same time some of the most successful players or people have their thing that just lets allows them to totally switch off like yeah 100 percent. i yeah. see what you mean now um yeah because you uh you know all four players are human at the end of the day um, I do spend quite a long, uh, quite quite a lot of time going out with my mates. Um, you know, if it's just to a mall or if we're, you know, chilling at someone's house, playing FIFA, having dinner together, having lunch together, I still do all that stuff. I do it, you know, a few times a week actually. Um, if it's straight directly from training with some of my teammates, or if it's just at home, you know, playing uh, Fortnite or Call of Duty online or something. Mm. Um, but I still do that all the time and that that helps me take my mind off football because yeah. some sometimes you know if i have a bad training it does stress me out quite a lot it stays on my head yeah. um and it does affect your well-being 
but then you know when you have another hobby or activity that you can do and it completely flips your mind off football it's so much better it's it's so important dude like because again it's a roller coaster it never ends you're always on the roller coaster and you got to have something every day or every week um to just like forget about everything because because when there's so much challenge um when you know it's not like you're gonna have a good training every training so when you do have your bad ones then it's it's important like what's my thing to forget about what's happened um you got to have that otherwise you're going to burn out otherwise it's like oh okay i don't like this anymore it's like yeah you got to reset you're gonna have a reset reset is so important i was just in the sauna on the weekend guys i love the sauna (laughs) that's my thing (laughs) some people like meditation some people like Fortnite. some people like going on a long walk sauna it's great and, and that mall in Bangkok, Terminal 21, great mall. I'll have to join you there. Yeah? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I actually like another one a bit more, but yeah. Which one's that? Uh, you know Cyan Paragon? Uh, yes. I've... It's, quite, it's, quite, it's quite a big one. It's a very nice mall. Okay. That's on my list. So, Terminal, Terminal 21 great, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there you guys. Uh, there you go. There you go, guys. Shopping mall. Shopping mall. Yeah. It's, it's funny as well that you say about the, the Fortnite gaming because like even like some players right that I'm talking at the very very top level yeah like you got Neymar who just see we know he bangs out of Fortnite he loves a bit of Fortnite he Liverpool is so yeah he streams yeah and, and he's like yeah. decent like Diogo Jota for example of Liverpool is like a serious serious FIFA competitor and like wins and actually has won tournaments yeah. and, and even the other day I saw him with Casemiro and I just thought Mm-hmm. Casemiro is the last guy that I would think would be a gamer or just someone that would spend his free time gaming. But it, it has become a very prominent um, like thing to do in people's lives. And obviously for footballers, it is a great way, A, to spend your time recovering because you're relaxed and you're sitting mm-hmm. down and doing whatever you're doing. But also, like you say, it's, it's a great way of sort of taking your mind off real life and football and just de-stressing, as you say. Um, you're gonna, yeah, you're on, on that point, because everyone listening loves... Most people listening love to game. Like on that point, I have heard some things where some players will stay up until two or three a.m. the night before a game, just playing like just gaming, and then uh, not knowing that that will affect their performance. So apparently, in the end, I was reading an article the other day. Like in the NBA, this this actually is quite common, where the players are traveling all the time, staying in hotels, and they'll, they'll game. Um, and they'll just game late and then it like they have no idea that it'll affect their performance the next day. Um so a lot of like sports scientists and um whatever the 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 physio people, not physios, what am I saying? Coaches and, and whatever staff, backroom staff are in the the um in these teams are like really pushing that like guys night before the game, like you gotta stop at this time, otherwise your performance is gonna dip at this time when you play in the evening the next day. And then like things like that. So I, I feel like Delhi Ali played too much too much <laughs> what happened. Like no. It's Not it's all about balance. Isn't it, it? Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's it's all about balance, isn't it? Because even if you train too much, which is something that you know is associated to being a good thing, even if you train too much, you're gonna tire out your muscles and there's gonna yeah. be problems. Over. So yeah, yeah. Overtraining yeah. is not a good thing. Yeah, so I feel like in everything, there's got to be a good amount of balance. No, you shouldn't stay up to 2, 3 a.m. playing yes. games, but also a little bit in a day is fine. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. Balance. And that, that high performance is like, it's like, yeah, you have to work hard. You also have to rest hard. But you also can't do go too hard on both. Yeah, yeah. Rio Ferdinand uh, went a bit hard every now and then going up clubbing mm-hmm. and I've, I've actually heard some stories about Man United players from a little bit more back in the day when they weren't so strict about like players that you know at very very top level like going out and, and drinking and all this and that it's something you don't really see nowadays but mm-hmm. but yeah so going back oh, go on Nick no, I was going to say like these days that's just replaced by like gaming and stuff they do online the yeah exactly (laughs) um so going back to your journey then um and we touched on some difficult moments um earlier on but what would you say has been can you even pinpoint one main difficult moment throughout your career that you've had to overcome yeah i feel like it was it was the moments that i've that I heard from the clubs in Portugal that I couldn't stay or I couldn't sign straight away. Um, you know, especially at such a young age, I didn't understand everything completely. I was always very single-minded towards, I have to go, I have to go, I have to go. It's now whenever. Um, and at the time, it was like, it was the end of the road for me. That's what I thought anyway. Um, I remember crying and it being on my head for days and days and weeks and weeks. Um, because I thought like, oh, I'm never going to be able to get back to go to Europe. But then, you know, if you look now, three years down the line, Bayern invited me to go play in Europe and they did again this year. And that's another opportunity that I must look forward to. Um, But that was definitely the hardest time for me. Because even though you did make it, it feels like a loss. It feels like, you know, yeah. I think it's almost tougher mentally the fact that you did go, the fact that you did put energy into it, the fact that they said yes, and then obviously for it not to happen, mentally it might have even been easier for that not to happen. But at the same time, you wouldn't be who you are now if that didn't happen. You wouldn't perhaps be as mentally strong um, if you didn't if you didn't have to face that. Um, and so obviously you're still very young yourself, only 18 years old. But mm-hmm. let's say you could go back and you could talk to yourself at 13, 14 years old. Would you change anything? Are there any regrets throughout your journey? And would you give your your thirteen year old self any advice um, that you could think of from, from to, to up to this point now? Um, that's a hard question, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know if I'll change much. Um, I'll probably tell myself to chill out a little bit. Um, okay. I took everything. Yeah, I took everything a bit too seriously, um, especially with football. You know, I'd remember I'd, I'd get mad too easily at, at the smallest things on the field. I just always wanted to win, 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 even if it was playing with like kids um, or a game, <laughs> a, a, a game didn't matter. I'm just like, I must win. Um, so, yeah, definitely chill out a little bit and not stress so much. Um, okay. But I, I feel like, but I also think now without that, I don't know if I'd um, been so, you know, single minded. I have to get to the top. I have to get to the top. Um, there's, you know, positive and positive and negatives, everything. But, yeah. Yeah, I'd say with that, it's like, um, you know, I guess you could say you have tunnel vision towards your goal. And, and yeah. it, it, in one sense, that's great because it helps you um, sort of, you're, you're more determined, you're doing the extra work and the extra bits to achieve your goal. But then also, like you say, chill out and also have fun a little bit. Um, yeah. But 
there's a load of players out there that you know have had tunnel vision and did make it right to the top and they're doing just like even Ronaldo for example he had super tunnel vision from from very young and another one which I, I don't know if a lot of people know of is, is Joao Cancelo who obviously was Man City is Bayern Munich now he's yeah. someone who all of his teammates have said he's very intense he takes everything very serious and in training sessions he takes everything to heart so yeah I guess it's sort of down uh, to, to each individual um, yeah. then going off that and this will be that last sort of proper question that I asked from you today. One piece of advice. Again, you're very young and there's going to be lots of things that you'll learn as well. But from this point in your career, one piece of advice to give to any aspiring footballer that is watching this right now. Yeah, um, I feel like the best advice I can give is no matter what situation you're in, what the future looks like, what your past is, is to give 100% in terms of to yourself and to everything that you do every day because from my career I can tell that things turned out very differently in a good way to what I expected them to be um, so perseverance um, for Rio Ferdinand says always persevere because on the flip side of everything there's always a good thing um, and it's also when things are going good you also have to work hard so things don't go bad again um, and it's always about giving 100%, working hard, um, but then also having a good balance, just persevering. No, I think that's the best thing I can say, really. Well, there you have it, guys. Um, perseverance and, and sort of uh, a never-die attitude, and, and when things knock you down, be able to, to get up and go again. Um, Nick, just before I go on to the last question, any last, any last questions or bits from yourself? No, the only bit I would say is, like, look, man, I think... You are a role model for all the training factor community. Um, the like the lessons that you learn at such an early age, I think, just serves as inspiration for everyone that's that's watching. You, you've learned, you already learned the lessons, which I think will just make you go far in football, in life, and in, in everything that you do. And um, yeah, I'm just uh, I, I feel I feel blessed that we could be able to talk to you today, and know that know that that the future is gonna be like i'm really excited for the future for you man so thank you very much yeah and thank the, the whole train of community too i think uh yeah when this when this gets shared to more people uh, i think they'll just see okay wow he's got his head screwed on he's motivated i need to be like him yeah yeah that no, was great thank you very much no i think i think you spawn we'll, we'll all be rooting for you um and, and hopefully everything goes well so last question then Light-hearted one. Should be easy, but let's see. Yeah. Messi or Ronaldo? Who are you picking? That's, that's so easy. Ronaldo. Oh, yeah. Okay. Any, right. day of the Any reason why? Any reason why? I looked up to him when I was, um, you know, ever since I was little, I remember, like, oh, he's just a goat. He's just too good. That's <laughs> uh, really good. Yeah. You know what? As well, I feel like his story is one that is very special because... Yeah. He wasn't necessarily the most naturally gifted growing up, and you know he didn't have all the that all the the talents that you know maybe Messi more naturally has. I guess you could say. I think it's clear mm -hmm. to say Ronaldo has, has, has put in the hard work. But there you go, guys. So CM picks Ronaldo. We'll see. We'll see uh, who uh, our next week's or ne our future guests say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, guys, that is the end of the pod. Pod CM, thank you very much um, for joining today. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you guys very much for having me. 
Of course, of course. Guys, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe on the YouTube channel. Lots more pods and content coming. If you're on Spotify, make sure to follow. And if you haven't already, then check out the socials in the description below. And until next time, thank you very much.